Matthew chapter 4. 4. Matthew chapter 4. A young man was standing in front of a shelf in a grocery store. The shelf was stocked with his favorite candy. The store manager happened by and he saw the boy acting a little strangely. So he stopped and he asked the little boy, he said, excuse me, young man, are you trying to steal that candy? To which the little boy replied, oh, oh no, sir. I'm trying not to steal the candy. <laughs> and therein lies the conflict. Last week we talked about the conflict that has plagued mankind since Adam and Eve. And everyone from that point on, temptation has plagued us. But this is the thing. Temptation is only a temptation when you resist it. Otherwise, it's just an opportunity to satisfy the lust of the flesh. Benedict of Nursia was so disturbed by the constant temptations to indulge in the lust of the eyes that he tempted to curb such temptations. He created a situation that his flesh would be unable in the slightest way to have unrighteous desires. He did it by wearing a shirt made of rough hair so that it would irritate the skin. Then he moved himself into a desolate cave to isolate himself from mankind. And for three years, a meager amount of food was lowered to him on a rope. For three years, he lived this way, to no avail. Even isolated and uncomfortable, he was left to the vivid images that haunted his mind day and night. When three years of isolation did not cure the temptation, he re-entered society. Once out of frustration and desperation, he cast his body into a clump of thorns, thistles, and briars until his body was covered with bleeding wounds, but he found no escape. Temptation followed wherever he went and whatever he did. Our Heavenly Father has made us a promise. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, it says, The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. 
And the idea in that verse is that he has chosen a way for you to escape. That's both good and bad news for us. Good news in that there is a way of escape. Bad because when we yield to the temptation, we have no one to blame but ourselves. Many years ago, I was out deer hunting, and uh, I was, had already filled my buck tag. And so I was just out to fill a doe tag, and I went with a group of men from the church. And I was sitting in my tree stand, and, and mind you, I'm almost 53 years old, and I've never killed a big buck. I've killed small ones. I've killed, uh, you know. I've kind of had a theory my whole life, if it's brown, it's down. You know, I like the meat better than the rack anyway. Tastes a lot better. And so I'm sitting in my tree stand, and as as I'm sitting out there, the biggest buck I'd ever seen come out of the woods. And mind you, I don't have a deer tag. I don't have a buck tag. I've got a doe tag. And the deer comes out of the woods, and he, he comes walking broadside in front of me. And I just watch him, and he walks across the field, just grazing. He gets to the other end of the field, and he he just kind of turns around, and he starts grazing back this way. And he turns around, and he starts grazing back this way. And then at that point, I have my rifle up, and I'm looking through the scope. I got my crosshairs on him, and I said, Lord, you said that you would never put a greater temptation on me than I can handle. If he comes by one more time, Lord, I can't handle it. And he turned and he went into the woods. And the thing that amazed me was I got back and I was telling the men that I went hunting with all of my church buddies. And they're like, why didn't you shoot it? We got extra buck tags. I'm like, but that's illegal. You can't do that. They said, ah, nobody would know. (laughs) It's like, I would know. Now, Jovinian, a 5th century monk, began to teach that after baptism, a person was free from the devil's power and from temptation. He said, once you were baptized, all of the temptation was gone. To which Jerome, Jovian's most outstanding and wise opponent, corrected him by saying, baptism does not drown the devil. Hmm, ain't that the truth? So this is the question. As we look at our our scripture today, why would the Holy Spirit lead Yahshua to be tempted? As a matter of fact, Mark chapter 1 and verse 12 says that the Holy Spirit driveth him into the wilderness. Not that he led him, but that he drove him into the wilderness. And you see, this is the thing. As we started out in Matthew chapter 1, Matthew has spent this time to present Jesus as king. And so, in order for any king to be worthy to rule a people, he must be able to rule himself first. We learned last week that the word translated tempted is neutral. It can be either good or bad. It depends on the one that is doing the presentation of whatever it is. If the intent 
is to bring harm, then it's a temptation. If it's to test, then it will bring good and it will strengthen the one that's being tested. So Jehovah tests to strengthen us and the devil tempts to defile us. And we talked about last week that the same event can be both a temptation and a testing at the same time. Now, what the devil meant for evil, God meant for good. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command these stones to be made bread. But he answered and he said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him into the holy city, and he setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple. And he said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again the devil taketh him up into an exceedingly high mountain, and he showeth him all the kingdoms of the world. And the glory of them. And he saith unto him, All these things I will give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith, the, to Jesus, then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came, and they ministered unto him. So, we mentioned last week that many temptations come after a mountaintop experience. They come after a spiritual victory. After those major victories, many times we are most vulnerable. Either because we are physically depleted, war completely out from the battle that we've just gone through, kind of like in the case of Elijah that we mentioned last week when he defeated the 450 prophets of Baal. He was completely exhausted. Or maybe like in the case of Peter, we feel invincible. We feel like God that we cannot be touched by temptation, that we cannot be touched by the devil. In verse 3 it says, And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command these stones to be made bread. Now, I want to point out, first off, it's already been determined that he is the Son of God. Because God spoke after the baptism and said, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. So the determination is already been made, which is important to what we see here today. Because what he's saying is, as I looked at this, and, and I'm going to tell you, I spent 
double the time this week in my studies because I was having trouble grasping what was going on here. I really was. I was just like, what is the temptation? What was the problem here? And I doubled up on my, my studies this week because I, and I just, I begged God, help me understand this. So that, what, how does this apply to us? What is the, the temptation here? So the question is, is it a sin to be hungry? No, right? We know that. It's not a sin to be hungry. Is it a sin to eat bread? No, it's not a sin to eat bread. So what is going on here? What is the temptation that we see here? So let me ask you this. Can you eat in such a way that dishonors God? Yes. It's called gluttony, right? So you can overindulge in food, and it, it, it's a way to dishonor God. Is it a sin to be thirsty? No. But can you drink in a way that dishonors God? Yes. It's called getting drunk. Is it a sin to find someone physically attractive? No, it's not. But can you act on that attraction in such a way that it dishonors God? And the answer is yes. It's called fornication or adultery. So, let me ask you this. By a show of hands this morning, oh no, what's he going to ask? <laughs> How many of you have gone without food for a day? For a whole day? Okay. How about for seven days? How many of you have ever gone without food for seven days? Okay, we got a few there. Now, how many have you have ever gone 14 days without food? One. How about two? How about 21 days? 30 days. Wow. Now, I decided I was going to fast for seven days once. I come up, man, I'm going to fast for seven days. Now, look at this body. This is like a fine-tuned race car. <laughs> okay, okay. I see the way you guys are looking at me. I see it in your faces. You're not picturing me as a fine-tuned race car. How about a monster truck? Maybe I'm a fine-tuned monster truck. Would that be all right? Can we fit that one in there? <laughs> Mater. <laughs> so I decided I was going to do a seven-day fast. Anybody want to guess how long I made it? Just take a wild guess. How many? Two days. That's close. I made it three. On the third day, I thought I was going to die. I was dying. I'm on the phone with my wife on the way home, and I'm like, you better fix something or I'm going to stop and eat some roadkill somewhere because I am dying here. I really thought I was going to die. Three long, horrible days without food. Mind you, I've never done it again. Never. But do you realize, and it's, it's amazing that you went 30 days, do you realize that after 30 days of not eating that your body begins to absorb your muscles? It begins to eat your muscles. You begin to die. 
After 30 days, you, you can go 30 days, and then after 30 days, your body trying to survive, trying to find nutrition, will begin to eat itself. Jesus went 40 days. 40 days. So this is the thing, and this is the thing we have to understand. Jesus was led into by the Spirit, actually driven by the Spirit, into the wilderness. So in preparations for the temptations, Yahshua would have to have been compelled to fast and pray by God. So by him not eating was not by choice, but he was, he was moved by the Spirit to fast those 40 days until God told him otherwise. So in essence, this is what the devil was saying to him. If you are the Son of God... So, since you're the son of God, and God loves you so much, why has he left you out here to die? If you're the son of God, and he loves you so much, why did he leave you out here to die? And if you are the king, don't you deserve better than this? Don't you deserve better than what he's putting you through? Because you know what? You can't rule anyone if you're dead. You know, I like the way that the New Living Translation quotes 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasures or the lust of the flesh. A craving for everything that we see, lust of the eyes. The pride in our achievements and our possessions, the pride of life. These are not from the Father, but they are from this world. And so the first temptation we see is that temptation of the flesh. The, the, the flesh has a desire, the flesh has a need that is pushing and compelling him. And we mentioned last time that as deity, God, he could not be tempted, he could not sin. But in his humanity, in the flesh that he had, he could feel the temptation, the hunger, the pain that he was going through. And so the lust of the flesh would compel him to step away from this fast that God had put him onto in order to satisfy the hunger that he had. You see, when things get difficult, when life gets difficult, when we receive a bad report, when we lose a job, when we get sick, we are tempted to doubt God's word. We are tempted to doubt God's love. We are tempted to doubt the Father's provision. We may even be tempted to doubt his existence. You see, the will of the Father was for Yahshua to fast until the Father had released him 
And Jesus said in John chapter 4 and verse 34, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And then in John chapter 6 and verse 38, he says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who has sent me. So Jesus has said, my whole purpose in coming here is to do the will of the Father. And in order for him to do the will of the Father, he must continue this fast until God releases him. But the flesh is pushing him and compelling him to eat. You see, the temptation was for the son to rebel against the will of the father. Because of the suffering that the father had allowed him to go through. You see, to go outside of the father's will to meet a need was the temptation. Several years ago, I had a gentleman, me and a gentleman were were discussing uh, poaching. And this young man, in trying to justify his poaching, said, if I had a family who came to me who had a need, he said, I wouldn't hesitate to poach a deer. Wouldn't hesitate. And I said, but listen, that's breaking the law. That's going against God's word. I said, if you break God's law, or you break man's law, that's breaking God's law, and what you're saying is, God, you can't handle this. I got it. He said, God wouldn't have a problem with me doing that. He put the animals on the land in order to provide for us. I said, I agree with you. But God would never want you to go outside of his will to meet the need of someone. I said, if you really feel like you need to, I said, take food out of your own pantry or go to the grocery store or do something like that. I commend you for wanting to help a family in need, but by breaking the law to do it is never God's will. And I said, if God wanted you to have a deer, he would have it delivered to your door. He said, I don't see it that way. That evening, that very evening, there was a knock on my door. And there was a deputy sheriff standing in front of my house. And he said, I got a question for you. I said, yes, sir. He said, there was a lady who hit a deer. Would you be interested in it? I said, oh, would I be interested in it? He said, it's in perfect shape. He said, I think that she just ran over its head. He said, I can't tell that there's anything else wrong with it. And don't think I didn't make a phone call. I said, do you remember when I said if God wanted you to have a deer, he would deliver it to your house? I said, not only did he, he sent the police police department to deliver the deer to my house. The deputy told me, he said, don't worry about anything. I'll take care of the paperwork. You just take the deer and process it and enjoy Yeah. Yeah, Tell me that wasn't God. (laughs) But he answered, speaking of Jesus, he answered and he said, it is written, 
man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Isn't it interesting? Yahshua answered by quoting scripture. And the, the scripture that he quoted was Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 3. Deuteronomy. Of all the books, Deuteronomy. I mean, come on. You've tried to read through the Bible, right? Genesis, very good. Exodus, how exciting. Leviticus, Deuteronomy, are you kidding me? Man, by the time you get to Deuteronomy, you're done. You know, if we could do Genesis, Exodus, jump on. But he went to Deuteronomy. Of all the books, he went to Deuteronomy, and he quoted Deuteronomy. You see, what he's saying is, listen, bread alone will not keep you. Understand that. Bread alone will not keep you. It's our creator that keeps our heart beating. You understand that, right? You understand that the only reason you take another breath is because God allows it to happen. He puts you together, he formed you in your mother's womb, and he keeps you going day after day after day. Every breath you take is a gift from God. Do you understand that? That's what he's saying. He said, listen, bread doesn't keep me alive. Of course we need food. We need that to to keep our bodies going. But it's the word of God that keeps you going day by day. When you wake up in the morning time, it's a gift from God. When you come home at night, it's a gift from God. Because none of us are promised another day. We're not promised another breath. It's a gift from God. But, but wait a minute, this is impossible. I mean, Jesus, 40 days, after 30 days, it begins to, he can't be alive for, but God, right? But God, I love that, but God. Well, wait a minute, a man could not live in the belly of a fish, but God. God couldn't put all of the animals onto one boat and save just one family, but God. What about the three Hebrew boys? How in the world? They opened the door and it killed the men that were going to throw them in, and what did they do? They just walked on in. (laughs) That's impossible. But God. So listen, in our circumstances, in those times that we're tempted to think God is not doing what he should be doing, or God isn't treating me, and God has allowed this to come, we have to remember, but God. But God. He's on your side. You see, we're better off to obey and to depend on God, waiting and trusting on him to meet our needs than to go outside of his will to meet those needs on our own. Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. God's got this. He's got it. He's got this. 
You see, there will inevitably come a time in our lives when we will have to decide whether we believe that or not. Do you truly believe that God will supply all your needs? Matthew chapter 6, verse 28 through 33 says, And why are you worried about clothing? Notice how the lilies of the field grow. They don't labor. They don't spin. They don't spin thread for their clothes. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all of his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow and is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Do not worry, then saying, what are we to eat or what are we to drink or what are we to wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then all of these things will be provided to you. He said exactly what Jesus said there. He said, listen, make your relationship with God the priority. And stop worrying about everything else. Because man cannot live by bread alone. Then the devil taketh him up into a holy city, and he setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple. And he saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. And so the devil says, Well, so you can quote Scripture, I can quote Scripture also. Or shall I say, I can misquote Scripture. Now see, there's a pinnacle. If you ever look at the temple and where it's placed, there's a pinnacle on the corner of the temple, and it's overlooking a deep valley. From the top of that pinnacle on the temple to the base of that valley is 450 feet. And so, of course, they believe that's where the devil took him, set him up on that pinnacle, and he said, listen, if, if you are the Son of God, since you won't prove that you're the Son of God by what you do, Make God prove that you're his son. Cast yourself off of here. And the Bible says, according to his promises in Psalms, that he will, the angels will come and they will catch you. <laughs> now, tradition says that this pinnacle is where James was martyred, that they threw him off of that pinnacle. 450 feet to his death. You see, Satan quoted Psalm 91, verse 11 and 12, but he omitted part of it. And we're going to look at that here in a little bit, but he left part of it out. So the first crisis that we looked at already existed. He was hungry. He was starving to death. So the crisis was already there for the first temptation. So here... The crisis would be one created by Jesus himself. He would create a crisis and then expect God 
to get him out of that crisis. So, if you won't use your own divine powers to prove you're God's son, let God use his divine powers to prove that you're his son. Boy, howdy, would that not prove it. Would that not prove it? That would truly prove to everyone that you are God's son. You cast yourself off of this, and when the angels say, I'm telling you, everyone around will know that you are God's son. You see, the flesh is always fascinated with the miraculous. Isn't it, though? I mean, people are just fascinated with miracles. And so many people are willing to follow anyone as long as they back up their claims with miracles. You see, here's the problem. Matthew 20, 20, 24, 24 says, For false Christs and false prophets will arise, and they will provide great signs and wonders, so that to mislead, if possible, even the elect. The devil said, cast yourself off of here, and the miracle that will happen will prove to everybody that you are the Son of God. And Jesus says, listen, there will be many false Christs that will come and do miracles. Many will. He said, that's not a sign. That doesn't prove anything for me to do that. As a matter of fact, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 12. He said this about signs. He answered, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for signs, but no one will give it except it be the sign of the prophet Jonah. You see, the problem with demanding miracles is that in order to maintain interest, the miracles must get more miraculous. They have to get more and more miraculous. You know, I remember back many, man, many years ago, back in 96, I, motocross was getting real popular. I was racing motocross. And there was a, a young man by the name of Jeremy McGrath. And he began to do some incredible stunts when he rode his motorcycle. Man, he used to whip that bike around, and he would, he would kind of lean the bike to the side, and he'd kick one leg off sideways, and he'd come across them jumps. And, man, I used to watch that, and I was like, oh, man, that's incredible, just absolutely incredible. But the problem with that is, is last year's stunt is boring this year. We got to kick it up a little bit. We can't, no, the can-can no longer is acceptable. Now we got to do some other things. I watched one here a while back where now they're doing double backflips with a 250-pound motorcycle in the air. Double backflips. I watched a guy do a front flip. Explain that one on a motorcycle. Every year it gets harder and harder. They got to where now they were doing backflips and and they would while they're upside down in a backflip, they let go of the bike and they grab the back fender and then pull the bike back and continue. The, every year their tricks have to get harder and more dangerous, and they risk their life. Why? 
because last year's trick is no longer good for this year. You've got to do something to keep their attention. That's the problem with miracles. That's the problem with doing miracles because all it does is make them hunger for more. Jesus told the group one time, he said, listen, you only follow me because I provide food for you. That's all you're following me for is the miracles. But I tell you this, let the miracles stop. And they're gone. Let them stop and they're gone. Because I'm going to tell you this, a true believer doesn't need miracles to prove. Miracles are a benefit. But you don't need those miracles to prove that he is God. Now, to live, now listen to this, to live recklessly and carelessly and to expect God to bail us out when we get into trouble is to put God to the test. To live recklessly and carelessly and then when we get in trouble to expect God to get us out of it, that's testing God. I had a, I was counseling a young Christian girl doing marriage counseling and she was fixing to marry a young man that was not a believer. She was a strong Christian girl and she was wanting to marry this unbeliever. He was a drunk, he was abusive. And man, I, I did everything I could to talk her out of it. No, there was nothing. Nothing you could do to talk her out of marrying this man. She was Twitter-pated. She just, she was absolutely in love with him. I told her, I said, I, I can't marry you guys. I just can't. She ended up marrying him. And her, her life was hell on earth. Hell on earth. For the duration of their marriage, it was hell on earth. She begged God and begged God to fix the situation that she created. She begged God. She got herself into this trouble. She cast herself off of the pinnacle and then begged God to catch her before she hit bottom. And you know, God amazes me. Sometimes he does. Sometimes he'll get you out of it. How many people push themselves into a situation where they get themselves so far into debt that they are bottom side up and they can't get out of it, and then they beg God to get them out of it. They beg God to provide, to be able to make the bills that they created. And don't you know that she blamed God? Don't you know she blamed God? She said, you brought this good-looking stud muffin to me this is your fault you done this god but isn't that isn't that from the original right didn't we learn that from adam god that woman that you gave me i didn't ask for a woman of all the women you could have made you made me this one i went to sleep one night and woke up married i didn't ask for this god this is your fault 
Right? Isn't that what we do? Oh, Lord, if it's your will for me to have this new car, let the loan go through. <laughs> God, if it's your will for me not to have a Krispy Kreme donut, make sure there are no parking spots in the front row. I had to go around four times before he opened up a parking spot up close to the building. It was his will, though. <laughs> it was his will. <laughs> so we create a crisis in our, of our own disobedience, and then we blame God when it goes south. I knew a young couple, both of them were Christians, and they were in the youth ministry that I was a part of, and the young man had confessed to me, he's like, you know, he said, we're planning on getting married, and, and he said, man, we just, we keep fooling around, and I said, you've got to stop that. You can't put yourself in those, I'm telling you, something's going to happen. He said, oh, we're not having sex, he said, we're just, you know, he said, you know, we've gotten naked a couple of times, but we've never had sex. We've, we've never actually gone through with it. I said, that's called defrauding. When you stir up something inside of someone that you should not be able to fulfill, it's called defrauding someone. It's a sin. I said, you've got to stop. You can't see how close you can get to sin without falling into it. You just can't do that. It wasn't long after that that he come and confessed that they had messed up. God, get me out of this. Now, I told you that, uh, that the devil had omitted part of the psalm. Psalms 91 and verse 11 and 12, it says this. For he will give his angels orders concerning you to protect you, this is the part he left out, in all your ways. On their hands they will lift you up so that you do not strike your foot against a stone. Or in all your ways, in all his ways. Listen, God expects you to take risks when it is concerned to his will. He expects you to do whatever is necessary to obey his will without concern of anything. He says, listen, I, whatever it takes, I will even send my angels to protect you when you're doing my will. And he left that part out. And he says, listen, I, you... I, when you do my will, when I have a mission for you and you're doing my will, he said, I will do whatever it takes for you to finish and to complete that. I am invincible until Jehovah God has finished with me. I am invincible until he is done with me. And then Jesus quoted Deuteronomy Chapter 6 and verse 16. 
Now, verse 8 says, Again, the devil taketh him up into an exceedingly high mountain, and he showeth him all the kingdoms, uh, showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And he saith unto him, All these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. So now the mask comes off, and he says, Listen, this is what it's all about. I'm tired of dancing around. I'm tired of playing games. I'm telling you something right now. If it is God's will for you to be king, then be king. Just do it my way. Because I'm telling you, if you do it my way, I will give it. All I'm asking you, and, and the way it's written in the original, he says, bow down to me one time. That's all I'm asking, one time. You fall down and you bow down to me and you won't have to be spit on. You won't have to be beaten and you won't have to be nailed to that cross. You're supposed to be king. I'll give you the kingdom. He said, I'll give it to you. We'll bypass all of that nonsense. Just bow down one time to me. I mean, if it's God's will for you to be king, right? So the ends justify the means, right? I mean, isn't we've heard that, the ends justify the means. As long as I get to where I'm supposed to be, as long as I do what God wants me to do, it really doesn't matter how I do it, right? As long as it gets done. I met a young lady one time, a very attractive young lady. This has been 30 years ago. Very attractive young lady. And I found out that she was a, an exotic dancer. And I asked her, I said, why in the world would you degrade yourself like that? Why in the world, as beautiful as you are, you could, you could be or do anything. I said, why in the world would you degrade yourself in front of men? And she said, you don't understand. She said, I could go to work over at McDonald's for $5 an hour. She said, I make $500 a night here. I make $500 a night at the strip club. I, she said, I'm paying my way through college. She said, I'm supposed to go to college. I've got to go to college. The ends justify the means, right? Whatever you got to do to make it happen, you know what? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what people think of me. It doesn't want, matter what people see. It doesn't matter what God thinks. As long as I get what I need, as long as I go where I'm supposed to go, if it's God's will for me to get there, it doesn't matter how I get there, right? If it's God's will for me to be king, it doesn't matter how I get there, right? I still rule. Bow down. Before me. And you see, this is the thing. Satan will often tempt you where you're the strongest. He will tempt you. I know a, a good pastor friend of mine who fell hard. And when I talked to him, he said, That was never my problem. He said, I never struggled with that, ever. 
He said, I had other struggles. I had other things I dealt with in my life. There were other things I had to fight against. He said, that was never a problem for me until it was. And then it ruined him. He will tempt you where you think you're the strongest. He will tempt you where you are gifted. He will tempt you to use it any other way other than to serve God with it. I look at all these singers that are blessed with the most beautiful voices. And instead of glorifying God with those voices, they glorify themselves and they glorify the world. I was listening to an actor the other day, a Christian actor. And they said, why on earth would you go into Hollywood knowing the way Hollywood is? He said, you know, he said, I don't get much work. He said, because I won't do those scenes with nudity in them. He said, I won't even be a part of movies like that. He said, at best, I might get a commercial now and then. But how many people use those gifts? Some of those people are so gifted. I mean, they can fully convince you that they're that person that they're acting. And yet they use that to bring glory to themselves. Satan says, if you are the son of God. Be king. And then once more, Jesus quoted Deuteronomy again, chapter 6 and verse 13. So three times, three times Jesus was tempted. Three times he used scripture to answer. Three times. But see, this is the problem. Many of us don't have enough scripture inside of us because God can't bring back to remember something that you've never put in yourself. Psalms 91, verse 11 through 12 says, I'm sorry, 119.11 says, Thy word I have hidden in my heart that I might not, what? Sin against thee. Thy word I have hidden in my heart. That's the answer to temptation. It's all there. God's already said, listen, when it comes, I've already determined your path out of it. I've given you an open door. I've showed you. I still think that Joseph had the greatest response to the temptation of anybody. He turned tail and ran. He ran. That was his answer. He didn't bulk up and bull up and say, listen, you can't tempt me. I'm a child of God. No, he ran. He had a beautiful woman standing in front of him trying to seduce him. Nobody will know. And he ran. He didn't quote scripture. He, didn't, he just turned tail and got out of the trouble. Got himself out of the temptation. And then we'll end with this. He told the devil to get out of there. Then the devil leaveth him. And behold, angels came and they ministered unto him. What do you think they did? What do you think they brought him? 
bread? You think they brought him bread? Some really good home-baked bread? You know the time when you walk in the house and you go, oh, that's manna from heaven. Ooh. It doesn't tell us what he, but I can just imagine that God says, you know what? You, the temptation was bread here, and the angels brought them bread. I don't know. I'm just making that up. Or Casey's Pizza, one of the two. Homemade bread or Casey's Pizza. One of the two, I'm telling you, manna from heaven. Would you stand to your feet? <laughs> Man, what a powerful message. What a powerful example God has given us. And remember, we talked about this. One of the reasons that he had to go through this, because as deity, he did not understand what it meant to be tempted. And yet the Bible tells us now, he says, listen, in all ways he was tempted as you. In all ways he understands what it means in the flesh to hunger for something and to desire something. He understands that now because of the flesh. Now the deity overruled the flesh in his case. But he understands when we go through those times of temptation. Father, thank you. What a beautiful illustration you have given us. We thank you that Jesus shared this with the apostles and that they were able to write it down and to give us this example. God, we all struggle with temptation. We know it's not a sin to be tempted, but it's what we do with that temptation, God. It will either strengthen us to walk stronger for you, or God, it will destroy our relationship with you. And I pray right now in the name of Jesus over everyone that's here today, God, that as they desire to serve you with all that they are, God, that when temptation comes, that you rise up within them the scriptures that they have hidden in their heart throw back in the face of temptation to be able to say, thus it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And now, Father, as we leave this house, I pray that you pour your blessings out upon your children. I pray, God, you go with us today as we go fellowship at lunch, bless our time there, and bring us all back once again. We ask all these things in Yahshua's very precious name. Amen. God bless you. Have a blessed day.